Welcome to Crossbridge Brickle's weekly podcast. Whether you are listening to us for the first time or revisiting a previously heard message, thank you for listening, and we hope that the time that you spend with us helps connect your life to the way of Jesus. Every week we gather in the south end of downtown Miami in the financial district of Brickle. If you're in Miami or coming to Miami to visit, make sure to join us Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at 1770 Brickle Avenue. Included with the podcast today, we want to provide online notes for you to follow along with the message through the Bible app, as well as our Spotify playlist to listen to our music played during our gathering on the weekends. All of this information is found in the description of this week's podcast. If you have any questions about Crossbridge, Jesus, or faith in general, we would love to hear from you, and the easiest way to connect with us is by emailing us at brickle at crossbridgemiami.com or send us a text to our text-in number at 305 305- Nine three zero seven zero zero six. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And now here's this week's message from Crossbridge Brickle. My brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for your presence here this evening as we meditated on your truth through song. God, we're, we're so grateful that you continue to call people uh, to your church. And so we want to thank you for all of the new partners that you have brought to Crossbridge. We pray that you would bless them, that you would work through them. We pray, God, that you would use them uh, to serve in the life of this church, that they would also be served uh, by us, that we would be a family that serves each other. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that is gracious to us, that is compassionate and merciful, and we pray that we would see that this evening, that your way is true and good. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I also want to thank Justin for coming up here, and if you had your eyes open when I was praying, you know he fixed my uh, stand here because I'm a one-armed bandit right now for the foreseeable future. Um, I wanted to just kind of make note of something that happened yesterday, if you uh, are not aware. Yesterday was Saturday, if you didn't know that. Um, that may be helpful. Today, Sunday, yesterday was Saturday. These are the things that I learned when you have children, you're teaching them how to sing songs and how the days work, and so it gets stuck in my head. But yesterday was a beautiful day. I was at the beach. It was a great day, but it was especially great because we were able to celebrate 
five baptisms uh, at Key Biscayne Beach. Can we have a round of applause for that? Amen. Amen. We had two people get baptized uh, from our Key Biscayne campus and three here from Crossbridge Brickell, and uh, many of you came out and enjoyed that celebration uh, of, of life transformation. You know, baptism is an external sign of an internal reality. Uh, these men and women claim faith in Jesus Christ, and their heart and their mind and their life has been transformed by the grace of God, and then they demonstrate that through the sacrament of baptism as they are buried under the water, symbolizing the death of Christ, and then brought out of the water to life, to resurrected life, which is what we believe through faith in Jesus. And so can I ask uh, Gina and Nev to stand, who were baptized yesterday. Can you guys stand? Nev's in the back. He's got the headphones on. And also, uh, one, of my, one of my best friends, Juan Marcos, was also baptized yesterday as well, wasn't able to make it this evening. Uh, but it just was awesome. And so I, the reason I want to bring that up is, one, to highlight um, them and to celebrate them and what God is doing in their life, but also to let you know uh, two things. One is that if you are ever you know, contemplating baptism, maybe you've never been baptized, you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart to be baptized, please do not hesitate to come talk to myself or Pastor Tommy. We'd love to talk with you through that, journey through that. But the other thing is that many of the people that come to this church and the people that we get to celebrate baptism uh, and God transforming their life are people that have been journeying through doubt and questions of faith for years and years. And so if you're here tonight and you're here because you're, not, you're, you're thinking, I'm going to check out Christianity, have a lot of doubts, I'm skeptical, but I'm looking for something, I, I'm curious about Jesus, I have questions on life and faith and meaning, and you don't feel like you have an outlet to actually walk through those things, I just want to tell you that when you come here, you don't have to hide your doubts in a box and pretend like everything's happy and smile. You can be real. Uh, I, I love to say that you can belong to this church before you believe. And I, I tell you that because I want you to know that if you feel like you need someone to walk with you, to, to speak about some of the doubts that you have, to answer questions of faith, uh, this church is here. I'm here. Pastor Tommy is here. Our deacons are here. Our elders are here. Our leaders are here. The community groups are here. And so I'm going to encourage you, if that's you, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Tommy after the service and say, hey, listen, I got a lot of questions of faith. I have a lot of doubts. And I would love it if you could pair me up with someone or a group where I could ask those questions because we don't have a lot of outlets for that. So I just want to encourage that um, this evening. It just was on my heart as I was preparing to come tonight because, you know, one of my really good friends, Juan Marco, has been walking through doubts for the past three and a half years and got to see God faithfully work in his life and baptize him yesterday. And I know that many of you resonate with that same place. So I wanted to extend that invitation to you. I want to ask a, uh, an interesting question, and it's very literal, okay? Very literal. How many of you right now are thirsty? Not like, this isn't like a spiritual, like, I'm kind of thirsty, my soul, you know, I'm sorry. Raise your hand if you are thirsty, like you're thirsty. Okay, raise your hand. You got your hands up? Okay. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands in the air. Do not put them down. Put your hands, you're thirsty. Okay. I have two water bottles right here. Can someone come up and grab, grab a water bottle? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if you're thirsty. Can someone come up here and take a water bottle? You're going to have to pick two. There's a lot of hands up. You've got to pick two. Someone come up here and grab a water bottle and give it to the thirsty people. Can someone do that? I'm being literal. Thank you, Winter. 
Now, you only get one. We get one more. Adam Chu. Thank you, Mommy. Keep your hands up. Now, you get to pick who you're going to give it to. No, you cannot give it to yourself. That's, that's actually defeats the whole purpose of this. There we go. There, oh, who's he going to choose? There we go. Perfect. Wonderful. Now, everyone else, I'm sorry that I made you consider your thirst and you do not have any water. You're like, okay, some of you are like, okay, what is, why is he doing this? Because there's got to be a reason, of course. I'm not just like passing out water. Here's why. When I asked you to raise your hand if you're thirsty, some of you maybe were thirsty, but you didn't raise your hand, but you saw a bunch of people raise their hand. And then when I said, come up and grab the water, someone come up and grab the water and bring it to the thirsty people, you probably had one of four reactions. You either hopped out of your chair immediately like winter and thought, I can do that. I can grab a water bottle and bring it to them. Maybe some of you were a little hesitant, but you were ready to go. You're going to grab the water bottle. You're going to bring it like winter or Adam. You're going to pass it out. If I had more water bottles, you would have stepped up. Others thought, I'm going to relinquish this responsibility to someone else. I'm just going to watch who's going to come up here and grab the water bottle. Someone's going to grab it. Who's going to do it? Let's see who passes it out. Others thought, why can't the people with their hand raised get the water themselves? Why does someone have to hand it to them? Like they could walk right here, grab the water, and go back to their seat. And then the rest of you thought, this is dumb. Why are we doing this? <laughs> See, I, I did that because I think in regards to serving, which is what we're talking about tonight, we always have one of four reactions when we're presented with opportunities to serve people, to engage in a serve opportunity, to come alongside people in our office, to help out a friend, a stranger. We either have a disposition where we immediately step up and say, I can do that. If you can do it, you're gonna step up. You'll hand the water bottle out, you'll talk to the friend, you'll come alongside them. Or maybe your thought is, someone else will do it. I know it needs to be done, but surely someone else will do it. I'm too busy to do it. I feel awkward doing it, so I'll let someone else handle that responsibility. Or you think, why can't those people just fix themselves? Why can't they just kind of move past these difficulties? Are we not enabling the problems that they have by serving them? They should be able to fix and help themselves. Or some of us think that serve opportunities and serve moments are dumb. We would never say that out loud. But we feel like that because we think, what is it actually going to do? What is it actually going to accomplish? I'm just going to feel good for a moment, but is it actually going to help anyone? Is it actually going to make a difference? What's the point to it? You see, this evening, as we look at episode three of our series called Influencers, we're looking at the way of Jesus, which is a way of service. And what I want to ask you to do is to consider honestly how you view service. Do you view it as if you are able, you will step up? Do you view it as someone else can do it, I'm too busy? Do you view it as why can't they serve themselves or do you view it as pointless? How am I even going to make a difference? What's the reason and the point to engage? You see, when we consider our lives, we do a lot of things. Service may be at times being one of them, but a lot of other things. Here's another question to ask yourself. If you were to poll your friends and you were to ask them, what do I always do? What is constant in my life? What am I always doing? What is always true of me? What would they say? Would they say that you're always working? 
Would they say that you're always encouraging or always kind? Would they say that you're always working out? Would they say that you're always cracking jokes? Would they say that you're always criticizing? Would they say that you're always late? How many of you resonate with that one? We're in Miami, it's most of us. What are you always doing? What is always true of you? See, the reason that's an important question is because what you are always doing reveals what is influencing you. What you are always doing, what other people see you always doing, or what is always true of you, is reveals what is influencing you. And the reality is that influence is everywhere. We are influenced constantly, all the time, multiple different media outlets, multiple different people, every place we go, every person we talk to, there is influence. And one of the prevailing influences in our society is this idea. I speak about this a lot, but it's because it is so dominant and it is also subtle in its effect. And it's this, you need to live a life where you're promoting yourself. It's the life of an influencer. You need to promote yourself in your career, in your relationships, in every opportunity. You need to speak up for yourself. You need to do what is necessary to get yourself noticed. You need to make sure that people see your achievements and see your skills, your talent, your work ethic. You need to get people to view you. You need to begin to promote yourself. There's literally master classes and seminars that you can take to figure out how to garner more attention to yourself. Just take a step back and think what that means. We are learning in our society and promoting self-centeredness. We're taking seminars and master classes of how to get more people to look at ourselves, to look at us, look at what we're accomplishing, look what we've done, look at our education, look at our success. We're learning how to be more self-centered. And this all speaks to worship because what we are worshiping is ourself. We're worshiping ourselves, And it's subtle and dangerous, though it's prevalent and we think we can kind of tune it out because what happens is we begin to think like this. Tell me if you resonate. You think to yourself, life only really matters if it's extraordinary. I have to live an extraordinary life. I can't live a basic life. It's gotta be extraordinary. We think to ourselves, life only really matters if I'm able to accomplish my definition of success. Life only matters if I rise above my competitors. Life only matters if I break barriers, if I cause disruption. Life only matters if people see my achievements. Life only matters if I change something and make a difference for the better in the world. Life only matters if I leave a legacy that people notice. It's as if we feel that life is only significant, that you're only successful, that you're only great if you live like a modern day Marvel superhero, but instead of being known for shooting webs, You're known for your drive and your work ethic and your creativity. 
And as long as you can maintain these, and as long as you can improve these, and as long as you can begin to fix your discipline and your work ethic and your drive, and you can begin to accomplish the things in front of you and knock down goals, then you will live a life that matters because people will see it. People will praise it. Then you can rest and feel like you've lived well. So this is the danger of believing and following the influence of our culture that says, garner attention for yourselves, have everyone look at you, worship yourself, and have other people worship you too, and then your life will really matter. See, this is very different than the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the complete opposite path of living. Jesus says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. How different can that be? Our society says the greatest among you are those that have accomplished all of their goals, and you look at them and you say, wow, I want to be that. Jesus says the greatest among you are those you don't even notice because they're passing out water bottles. The greatest among you are those that are servants, those that are serving you. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of his influence very different than what our society says. And see, what th- this has a lot of ramifications. It means that service is not scheduled. Think about that. Service is not scheduled. Service is not signing up for an opportunity. Service is not joining a team. Those things can be aspects of service, but service is not scheduled. It doesn't fit within your busy season, whether or not you have time for it. Service is a reflection of who you are. It's not optional in Jesus's way. The greatest among you are not those who serve when they can. The greatest among you are those who serve. The greatest among you are those that are your servants. As Kanye said, you know I had to do. You guys know I had to, right? Come on. He said, everybody wanted Yandi, and Jesus Christ did the laundry. Come on. They say the weak start on Monday, but the strong, where do they start? Sunday. Can I get an amen? amen. Should I keep going? No, no. Come on. But listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. He, they say the weak start on Monday, but the strong start on Sunday. What does that mean? What's influencing you? Monday or Sunday? Monday or Sunday? Because Monday, when you go to work, here's what you're told. Promote yourself. Push down other people so that you shine brighter. Only serve if it benefits you. That's what Monday tells you. Sunday has a very different message. Sunday says, look to promote others. Look to serve others. The greatest are those that are serving Not because it's going to benefit them, because they're looking to benefit others. What influences you, Monday or Sunday? Our passage tonight in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is closing this letter to the Christians in Rome, the church in Rome. And he's been writing some difficult things for them to hear all throughout the letter. And as he closes, he writes to them, both to encourage them and then to clarify why he wrote the way he did in the previous chapters and to share a little bit about his calling and what he believes we're called to 
live out. See, he says in the beginning of our passage tonight that he's encouraged by what he hears because the Roman Christians were full of goodness towards each other. They were full of the knowledge of God. They were pursuing the knowledge of God, and they were instructing one another. See, he's saying that I'm encouraged because in this very difficult environment to be a Christian and to live and to work, you guys were instructing one another and teaching one another and challenging one another. You were full of goodness towards one another. You were seeking the knowledge of God. There's this deep community. So I'm encouraged by that. And then he says, the reason that I had to write to you, the reason I had to speak to you so boldly is because God called me to be a servant of the gospel. So he's essentially saying to them, I didn't write this letter to you and write difficult things for you to read and to hear because I'm just mean and I, I just want to push your buttons, and I'm a contrarian, and I'm, I'm just trying to manipulate you to some certain ways. I'm not doing it for myself. If it was for myself, I would never have written this letter. Wouldn't have said the things I said. But the reason that I was bold, and I said things that I know that you are going to have a hard time receiving, is because God called me to serve. He called me to serve, not myself, but the gospel, which means I'm called to serve you. And the way that God has called me to serve you is by speaking truth, writing difficult things to you, the church. I'm encouraged about a lot, but there's some things that you need to hear. See, he's revealing to the church, to the Christians in Rome, that the reason he is the way that he is, the reason he writes with boldness is because God has called him to serve. And this is the way in which God has called him to serve, his specific way. He begins to flesh out for them his vocation, his calling, the way of Jesus as he sees it in his life as an encouragement for them to then plug themselves into the way that he sees his life so they can then see their lives that way as well. I'm going to read verses 17 through 20, and it'll be up on the screen. It's also in the Bible app if you text it in, but here's what I want to ask you to do. If you have a, a notebook in front of you or if you have your phone, to write down the words or the phrase, phrases that stand out to you. I'm going to read slowly. I want you to write down, to notate, what stands out as he speaks about his calling, his vocation, his job, his life. So here's what it says. Romans, starting in verse 17 through 20. He says, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to the eye city, you guys like that? You catch that? I'm not even going to try on that one. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, I don't know what you wrote down, what you notated in there. There's a lot. You may have just like 
I just highlighted the whole thing. I mean, it's the Bible, so every word matters, right? But I spent some time this week kind of reading through this over and over again. I think it's a helpful practice. You know, when you're reading scripture, read over verses time and time and time again. It's an ancient practice of studying God's word. And a a few things jumped out to me. I want to share them with you. Here's what jumped out. The next slide, please. In Christ, proud of my work, accomplished through me, Christ accomplished through me, word and deed, power of the Spirit, my ambition, preach the gospel. See, Paul says that he's been called to serve, and this is how he views his life. He says, my life is in Christ, and I'm proud of my work, and I boast of what Christ has done through me, and I live word and deed. It's not just what I say and what I write to you in this letter, but I actually live it out in my actions too. I'm sustained by the Spirit, and my ambition is not for myself and my name and my legacy. My ambition is to preach the gospel, is to make much of Jesus. You see, God has called Paul to serve, and he begins to share how he thinks about that to the church in Rome, because he wants them to see, in the same way that he has been called to serve, the church has been called to serve as well. You have been called to serve. Whether you are a teacher or a lawyer or a medical professional or an administrative assistant or an athlete or a designer, you're an entrepreneur, you're a businessman or woman, you're a barista, you're looking for work, it doesn't matter. You've been called to serve. You've been called to serve as a friend, as a father or a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as a coworker, as a citizen, as a brother and sister in Christ. You've been called to serve. Here's a question. It's a cutting question. I had to ask myself this week. When I look at my life, my calling, my job, can I say the same thing? Can I say, in Christ, I'm proud of my work. In Christ, I'm proud of my work. And I boast of what Christ has done through me. I live word and deed, both what I say and how I act. That what sustains me is the Spirit of God, and my ambition is to preach the gospel. Can you say that about your life, about your calling, about your job? Because it's a very different message that you receive on Monday. Monday says this, in yourself, be proud of your work. In yourself, be proud of your work. And boast of what you have accomplished. Yes, live word and deed. But be sustained by your own power. By your own grit and drive and work ethic. And your ambition should be to achieve your definition of success. Very different influence. See, Jesus' way preaches a very different message to us. And Paul's pretty explicit. The beginning of Romans chapter 15, he lays it out very clearly. He says this in the first three verses. 
He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. It's pretty explicit. He says, we are to bear the burden of those that are weak, those that are failing. Whether or not you believe that they deserve it, we're to bear the failings of the weak. We are not to seek to please ourselves, but to please others. We are to look to build others up. Why? Because Christ didn't please himself. It's not what Christ modeled. It's not how he lived. It's not his way. One of my good friends who I've been reading scripture with, we try to do every week, and we've been walking through some different books in the Bible. And we began months ago looking at the Gospel of John. It was the first time that he had ever read a book of the Bible on his own. Had kind of jumped in and out and heard some stuff at church here and there, but wasn't a believer in Jesus, was beginning to explore his faith. And we're walking through the Gospel of John. We'd read it on our own, and then we'd meet and discuss. And he texts me one night, and he says, listen, I, I, I can't do this. This Christianity thing is ridiculous. He's like, I'm actually upset, and we have to talk about it tomorrow. Like, I'm, I'm pretty angry about what I just read. I'm like, what did he read? What's going on here, you know? And so I'm like, he's like, we got to meet tomorrow. I was like, okay, 9 a.m., Capital One Cafe, you know, that's where we're going to be. So we get there, I'm like, okay, this is, I'm like, you know, do I need to research? What am I going to do? What am I going to say? Like, I'm going to like try to pull him off the ledge. Like, let's just keep reading, you know, let's get to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Like, we got to get there, you know? So he comes back, we had read John 12. And he arrives in the morning and I'm reading through John 12 and I'm like, okay, I think I know where he's at. Because in John 12, you have Mary, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. She comes to Jesus, and she breaks really expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And then she cleans Jesus' feet with her hair. And Judas, Iscariot, says, why would you let that happen, Jesus? We could have sold that perfume and given all the money to the poor. And Jesus says, the poor will always be with you, but I will not always be with you. Essentially, he's saying, she knows I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, and she's worshiping. She's bringing her best to my feet and she's humbling herself before me. Allow her to do that. And he, he read this, and he thought, this is unacceptable. Why would Jesus, if Jesus is God in the flesh, Savior of the world, why would he let a woman wash his feet with her perfume and with her hair? That is so unacceptable, and it does not sit well with me, and I don't like that idea of a Savior that wants people to clean his feet. So we come, we sit down, Capital One Cafe, and I'm like, I'm ready. You know, I'm like, okay, thinking what I'm going to say, I'm going to go. He said, listen, before we start, I just want you to know, like, for some reason I woke up this morning and I was done with the Bible. I was done with Jesus. I was done with the whole Christianity thing, but something told me, read the next chapter. As I woke up, I read the next chapter, John 13. He's like, I'm astounded. Because in John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And he said, that is a Savior that I can follow. 
You see, he called and allowed Mary to wash his feet, to humble her, herself before him, to bring her best. But he humbled himself and modeled what it looks like to be a servant as he washed his disciples' feet. That is someone I can follow. Because the way of Jesus is a way of service. You see, Jesus redefines greatness. True greatness is found in service. True greatness is found in service. Now, some of us may read that and think, okay, I'm going to just change my definition of greatness, and then I'll be good. You're going to walk out of here, you're going to start tomorrow, and say, my definition of greatness needs to change. Right now, my definition of greatness may be, you know, achieving a certain amount of money, or achieving certain accomplishments, or having a certain level of recognition, or reaching a certain place in my job, or having some type of relationship, or seeing something happen in the life of my kids. Whatever it may be, you have your definition of greatness, and you think, I'm just going to change the definition to service, and I'll be good. For a little bit, you may. You may join a team here and, you know, set up and tear down and serve in the life of the church. Maybe I'm going to serve every week because true greatness is service. I'm going to be here every week. You're signing up to clean up the streets. You're doing every volunteer opportunity. That person at work that you continue to ignore and to avoid because they're always asking help with something, you're like, you know what, I'm going to talk to them. What do you need? I'm going to help you out because true greatness is found in service. And this will go well for a little bit. But what happens? Eventually, true greatness will not be found in service. You will go right back to whatever your definition of true greatness is right now. Because what is influencing you Monday through Saturday is to promote yourself, to worship yourself, to run after your own success. You see, the issue is not your definition of greatness. The issue is what is influencing you. We are all ambitious for our own success. Why? Because we're hungering for love. We want to be loved. We want to be noticed. And so we work really hard to accomplish and to achieve goals and to move up the ladder and to, to knock down all these barriers and to move forward in life so other people can notice us, so we can feel loved, so they think that we matter, so they view us as successful. But until you allow a different influence to affect your life, true greatness will not be found in service. You see, you have to receive the love and service of Christ. When you allow Jesus and his love and his service towards you to be the main influence in your life, then you will see true greatness be changed to service because you will inevitably follow the way of Jesus. You may be thinking, I've already received the love and service of Jesus Christ through faith. It's great. Maybe you need Christ to wash your feet again. Maybe you need to consider it again. Jesus said that I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. We have to preach the love of Jesus to ourselves every single day. Every morning when you wake up, you need to consider the love and the service of Christ or else you will be influenced by something else. See, Jesus has to be the overriding influence in your life. And when you begin to serve, it's not out of guilt. It's not because you've just changed the definition of true greatness. It's because it's a reflection of who you are. 
You are a son and a daughter of Christ. You are loved by Christ. You have allowed Christ to serve you through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And now you serve because it's a reflection of who you are, of the influence that is presiding over your heart and your mind. I love what 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6 says. Close with this. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We don't proclaim ourselves and we are servants for Jesus' sake. Why? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why would you live as a servant? Why would you live a life of service? Why would you begin to see true greatness defined in your life as service? Why would you take opportunities to serve others even if it doesn't benefit you and it may actually harm you? Why would you live like that? Because you have lit light, you have recognized that through Jesus Christ and his love and his life, Light has shone out of darkness in your heart to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, when you worship and follow the real Jesus, he redefines success for you. He redefines greatness. When you worship and follow and The presiding influence of your life is the real Jesus. He refocuses your ambition, not on yourself, but on others. And when you follow and worship the real Jesus, he redeems your calling and makes it not about you, but about how God is going to use your life and your position for others. There's a great quote by Dallas Willard. He's a Christian scholar. He says that the grace of God is is opposed to earning but not to effort. You see, God's grace is freely available to you as you believe in the life and the death of Christ for your sin and his resurrection from the dead. You cannot earn the grace of God. But when you receive the grace of God and you allow God's love and his service to preside over your heart and to be the main influence in your life, it changes your effort. You don't work to perform for yourself, but you look to please others and to serve others. And my prayer for myself and for us as a church is that we would look at the real Jesus, that we would worship him and allow him to be the main influence in our life so we would live lives of servants. We would recognize that the greatest are those that serve. Will you pray with me? God, as we come to your table this evening, we're reminded that You didn't just speak in word, but God, you modeled. You lived what you spoke. You didn't tell us to live lives, live a life of service to others, to be concerned about the good of others without also living it yourself. You were the greatest servant because you gave your life as a ransom for many. 
You came not to be served, but to serve. And Lord, you gave your life for people who cannot earn your love, who don't deserve it, and yet, God, we receive it with joy. And we ask, God, that you would allow it to be the presiding influence in our heart and our mind, that we would look not to please ourselves, but to please others. Would you give us a fresh vision for how we might do that in our daily life? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.